Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. All right, well, uh, I want to share with you just one verse, and then we'll jump into tonight's storyline. Um, Proverbs 29.18 is a significant reason why we are telling these stories again and again. We've, we've told them a number of times over the year. We've been doing this for 14, 15 years. Proverbs 29, verse uh, 18 says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one that keeps the law. This is the Lord's word to all believers about everything, but oh my goodness, to a ministry of priests that if we forget why we do what we do, 140 hours a week of ministry is unheard of. That's unheard of. Nobody does that. When I say nobody, there's like eight out there. Nobody does 140 hours a week of ministry every week, and then again the next week, and then again, and we're planning on doing it until the second coming. Oh yeah, we're actually going to add more hours. It is laborious. It takes effort. It takes people always here. It takes money. It takes faith to believe for the debt to get paid off. We've been believing that for a year and a half. Praying, God, pay off the debt, pay off the debt. It's been the rapid fire topic a few times. It is tough work to do what we do here. It is so difficult that if you don't have deep-rooted vision about why we do this, when a pandemic starts people stop coming to the prayer room. When there's an economic crisis, people stop giving. When there's difficulty in our personal lives, we stop doing the assignment. But the assignment was given not by me. I'm nobody. The assignment was given from up top. The Lord gave this ministry an assignment. And I want to remind us, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, the current living revelation, not I can sort of remember why I did it a year ago. That's not, it's insufficient. We have to have the now revelation or we cast off restraint. We start doing things that when we're thinking soberly, we wouldn't do. But we start doing it because we've lost the vision for why we do what we do. So we're telling this prophetic history to get all of us freshly engaged with the vision, with the storyline of this house, with, the, with the, what the Lord has done, with the prophetic uh, storyline. So tonight is TPR's prophetic history, session six, and this one's entitled, Fitting TPR into the Local Storyline. Father, I want to ask you in Jesus' name for grace to be released tonight, for you to release grace, for us to understand how we're part of something far bigger than what we see and what we do in a few blue chairs in a little room. I pray, God, that you would give us that revelation. God, we need it tonight, or we'll cast off restraint. I pray in Jesus' name, release living revelation by telling the story in Jesus' name. Session six, fitting TPR into the local storyline. Here's what I mean by that. There is a house of prayer movement. So I appreciate prayer. But prayer and a house of prayer movement are pretty different things. When you say the word prayer, you could mean anything. When you say house of prayer movement, you mean crazy people that gather together day after day after week after month after year after decade and pray until Jesus comes back. They pray for Jesus to come back. They pray for the ending of abortion. They pray for the release of righteousness. They pray for revival. They pray, 
They're a bizarre group of people that do not let up. They are bizarre. They are the most bizarre things ever. That is very different than the concept of prayer in most any other definition when we talk about prayer. So I want to make it clear, we're talking about a prayer, a house of prayer movement that's in the earth. Something that we're just the smallest drop of, of a drop in a bucket. This is something far bigger. Well, DFW, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, has a house of prayer prophetic history. We're going to tell some of that tonight and how we fit into it. It's, I remember finding out years after we'd been doing daily prayer meetings that there was a storyline that was bigger than us, that, it, that included us, not just globally, but regionally in DFW. And I remember being so excited to find out we were part of that storyline. First, just the point of uh, recap for uh, uh, those that are just joining, and for those that need a little reminder because there have been so many stories. Few, uh, uh, former session, I talked about the way that the Lord started the prayer room and that sovereign word, start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back. And we did it the next morning. We started. TPR was not planned it wasn't started, it was birthed. And man, if anybody's been around for a birth, that's kind of a violent moment, by the way. It's beautiful. I am grateful for all three of my kiddos, but man, what a violent moment. That little person fighting their way into the earth, fighting their way into the world. The prayer room was not begun by someone's idea. It was birthed, it was launched by the Lord in a way that's profound. This is bigger than us. Even our assignment, even what we do in this room when we think about what we're doing, it's way bigger than a ministry called the prayer room or us as a, as a little group. It's something so much bigger. This is a, we're part of a regional movement and that, that even that regional movement is part of a global movement. But we're going to talk about the regional capacity tonight or the regional aspect. His plans for our city. This regional movement we're talking about, it's, it's not unrelated ministries that are unrelated in calling, that are unrelated to God's kingdom in the city, they're all interconnected. The prayer movement is actually about God's plan for the territory of North Texas. That's what the prayer movement in Dallas-Fort Worth is about. It's not just so that this ministry can experience a little bit of the wind of the Spirit or this ministry can have this or that. It is about God's plans for DFW, which is 7.5 million people. 170 municipalities, 6,000 congregations of the saints. We are talking about a region. So when we talk about the prayer movement's history and future in the region, we're actually talking about God's purposes for the region because those things are interconnected. Well, <clears throat> we had no idea when we started this that the prayer meeting that the Lord was beginning in our living room, my living room back in the day, was all about a generation and God's purposes in a generation. And what God was doing unique in this generation. We had no idea we just said yes. We had no idea we were part of something global. It's a really interesting thing to get just a word from the Lord, you know, start doing this thing. And then sometime later you realize, oh my gosh, the Lord's been telling other crazy people around the planet to do the same crazy thing. He told them, he, and their stories are similar to our story. The Lord just said, you got to do it at gunpoint, he said it. And other people said, yes. It's a strange thing to find the story that God has been writing for you that you just thought was for you and a few people around you, to find that interwoven into the global plans for a generation. 
It's powerful. Now there's houses of prayer, these ministries that, again, they don't, they don't pray a little here and there. They don't just pray for somebody that walks in and say, oh, Lord, help them. They're actually aiming their intercession and their worship at Jesus hours and hours and hours a week. And they're all over the earth now. And they were not all over the earth in 2005 when the Lord said, start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. They were not all over the earth. There were very few. Not none, but very few. It's about DFW. Well, let me now go uh, back in time a little bit. We're going to go to 1999, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, where, in my estimation, and I'm sure the Lord always has, you know, pre-stories and prequels and even prequels to prequels, but as best as I know, the story began in 1999 related to God's purposes in the region and the house of prayer. Now, for uh, those of you who don't know, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City has kind of become the epicenter of the prayer movement in the earth. It's not the only location. It's not the only pinpoint, but it's, it's got a lot of interconnectivity. There have been a lot of people inspired because of IOP Kansas City. Well, IOP Kansas City started 24-7 worship and intercession with live worship in uh, September of 1999. That began in September of 1999. Now, What's really interesting, this, again, this just goes now, let's go right here to Dallas-Fort Worth. What's really interesting, in that hour, it took a minute for everybody to see what was happening in Kansas City and interpret it as a good thing. People saw it in Kansas City and they're like, that is a weird thing. I, I kind of like it. But the thought process of it being reproduced was unthinkable. So it took people a little bit of time to look at what IHOP Kansas City was doing and decide, you know what, we're going to go try to do something like that. The reason I'm making this point, as best as we know, one of the first houses of prayer to start anywhere in the nation that had any sort of connection or any sort of inspiration by IHOP Kansas City was a ministry called the All Nations House of Prayer, which began in Grand Prairie. Grand Prairie is a, a neighboring city to Arlington where we're at now. Grand Prairie is, is here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This uh, ministry was called All Nations House of Prayer. And what happened was uh, one of the, some of their leadership saw what had occurred in Kansas City and instantly it resounded in their spirit. And they went back and they started a house of prayer that ended up going over 100 hours a week of live worship. They began that within two months of IHOP Kansas City starting. That was an anomaly in the earth. That was not normal. It was, it was very, very strange. In fact, for a season of time, lots of people were getting pointed by IHOP Kansas City to come down to Grand Prairie and check out what was happening in Grand Prairie because it was probably a more reproducible model. And so you've got this house of prairie in Grand Prairie. I mean, we're talking like, you know, 15 miles from here is where this place was in Dallas-Fort Worth, okay? All Nations House of Prayer. They were carrying the torch for the concept of night and day prayer, not just for the region, for the South. I mean, there was nothing like it anywhere. There, there was nothing like that in the nation at that time. You had IHOP Kansas City and the All Nations House of Prayer, and that was the case for years. Then other groups started, but nobody was doing 100 hours a week back then. No one. It was an anomaly here in the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Again, I, I bring that up because I want to draw attention to the Lord's unusual purposes for night and day prayer in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There's unusual plan and destiny, unusual purpose. All right, well, 
I got saved in 1999. I didn't know any of that stuff was going on. I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm trying to figure things out. And I wind up, a year after I give, myself, uh, give my life to Christ, maybe a year and a couple months, I wind up at a conference over in Fort Worth by a ministry called Amber Rose Ministries. And it was uh, Tom Davis was the worship leader and the leader of Amber Rose Ministries. And this was a really cool conference. I had no idea how cool of a conference I stumbled into. Because that night, I don't even really know how I got there. A friend of a friend of a friend invited me or something. And I wasn't running in any sort of charismatic circles. To, so for me to have wound up at that conference that night was very unusual. And the Holy Spirit had a lot that he was up to that night. So I don't know. There's some guys up on the stage. A guy named Mike Bickle. I never heard of him. Rick Joyner. I don't know who he is. Jack Deere. Paul Kane. Tom Davis. I don't, I don't know any of these people. I don't, none, of this, none of this registers to me at all. There's just some dudes up on the stage as far as I'm concerned. Now, what I don't realize, and I wouldn't put together for quite some time, is that night, they were going uh, to launch a, or uh, not launch, they were going to tell a vision that uh, Tom Davis had had. I had no idea then, <laughs> no one in the room knew that the vision that was, being that was being told that night was actually for us the prayer room missions base, but we wouldn't find it out for years later. And here I am, a year in Christ, don't know anything about anything. I'm hearing this vision going, cool vision. It stuck with me, but I had no idea. It like, I had no idea what I was hearing. Here's the vision. This Tom Davis, he, he gets up and he, he says, I, I had this dream, uh, or this vision, rather it was a vision, in the night, uh, in 2001, um, and so, uh, so again, it's just, it's a year and a half later or whatever, a year and a couple of months. It says, it was night and I could see the whole Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And it was laid out before me. Then one by one, these little flames began to pop up in various places all over the region. I instantly understood these flames to be houses of prayer starting up throughout the city. Though I didn't get an exact count of how many there were, they were all over the region, and there were quite a few. After all the flames had started, then I saw the hands of the Lord appear, cupping either side of the metroplex of the map. And the Lord's hands began moving closer together, and as they did, they were pushing all the flames into the center once his hands had completely pushed them together, the flame was much stronger and there was an explosion where fire consumed the whole metroplex. I understood this to be the end time revival. He tells this vision. I remember Mike Bickle being up there and Mike going, yeah, tell the vision. Tell, yeah, tell that vision that you had, Tom, and you know, tell, tell everybody what it is. And so Tom tells the vision and I'm like, where, where have I gotten myself into tonight? Like, what is this? Like, and, uh, and so, uh, but I heard the vision and it, it stood with me. Like I remembered it years later and I normally don't remember anything. If I just hear it one time and I don't write it down or hear the tape a couple times, like I don't, it doesn't stick with me. But that one did. It was just interesting. I wasn't thinking house of prayer at all at this point. I'm thinking, do I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Like I'm, I am, I'm on a very different page at this point. Not at all thinking house of prayer. That wouldn't come up on my radar for years. But it was interesting that I was there for that, uh, that announcement of that vision. So it's a few years later, and we've got the All Nations House of Prayer going strong now. Again, it started in 99, 
Now I'm going to tell you about an encounter that happened in 2004. We started in uh, 2005, so we're still a year later. Okay? In 2004, the director of the All Nations uh, House of Prayer, a guy named uh, Tom Grossman, good friend of mine. I love Tom. If you're out there listening, man, I just love you. I just hope you hear this. Tom Grossman is the man. Tom was the director of the All Nations House of Prayer. That It's under his leadership that this thing was flourishing. 100 hours a week. Unbelievable. I mean, it's not happening anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. And there it is in Grand Prairie, 15 you know, miles from here. He said, during one of the sessions, and there was, some, there was some sauce there in that hour. Man, people were getting encountered by the Holy Spirit. Like, you come into that meeting, you might have a vision. You might, you know, encounter angels. There were a lot going on in that room, and, and rightly so. Well, he had a vision where he's in worship, and all of a sudden, the way he described it to me is, He's in worship, and he had his eyes closed, but he suddenly has a vision as though his eyes are open, and he begins to see this scene. He said, uh, he said I saw the 24 thrones that surround the throne of God, and I was standing outside of that circle, and I desired to enter between the thrones in order to get a better look at the throne of glory and God at the center. It's cool. He said, now this, these are his words, not mine. I had to turn sideways in order to squeeze between two of the thrones and get into the center. So those are his words. As soon as I entered the center, the glory of God hit me to the point where I was thrown face first down to the ground and I was unable to stand. As soon as I hit the pavement, I heard the voice of the Lord say, there will be 24 and immediately I knew he was speaking about the 24, 24-hour houses of prayer. 24, 24-7 houses of prayer. There will be 24, and he knows it's 24, 24 houses of prayer. And I replied to the Lord, in the nation, right, Lord? As soon as I uttered the statement for clarification to the Lord, I heard the Lord respond, no, in the Metroplex. Now, here is the point of the arrow, as far as I'm concerned, of the prayer movement in that hour outside of Kansas City. And it's important that there's a prayer movement outside of Kansas City. As long as it's only in Kansas City, it's, it's not taking on movement traction. This is a ministry located 15 minutes from here, 15 miles from here, that is, as far as I'm concerned, the point of the arrow for the prayer movement in that hour and the director who's leading it has this encounter and the Holy Spirit tells him, that. well, he says the voice of the Father, tells him there's going to be 24, 24-7 houses of prayer in the territory of Dallas-Fort Worth. That is impossible, powerful, remarkable. I mean, a lot of uh, bulls, okay? All right. So what does Tom do? Tom gets out of that vision. He's messed up. He tells me he's not okay for a couple of days. In time, he starts a ministry called Mission 24, and his objective was to be looking for, to be helping, to be encouraging any of these houses of prayer that could potentially wind up becoming one of these 24 that the Lord told him about, okay? That was 2004. We start a year later, and, and he finds us, we connect, and he, he wants to tell me the story and get us connected. Now, let me tell you what is Equally as intriguing, 
powerful, but this one is, while there's some exciting ramifications, this one's a little bit tough to hear, okay? Well, in that season of time, some things were shifting at the church. It was a church called Shady Grove Church that the All Nations Prayer Room was a separate ministry, separate building in their parking lot. They had a large parking lot. The church was over here, and then just over here was the prayer room. It was a beautiful prayer room. Shady Grove Church. Well, some things were shifting in the leadership of Shady Grove Church. And as the, the leadership was shifting long about 2005, 2006, time, in that time frame, leadership was shifting, the emphasis on the house of prayer was decreasing. And the emphasis on other things in ministry was increasing to the point where the house of prayer was uh, suffering a good bit, okay? Hours were being cut. Parts of the building were being repurposed for other things. Other meetings were now happening in that prayer room. The hours were great, greatly reduced, greatly reduced. And it was a really trying time for the worship leaders, singers, musicians, intercessors, everybody that was connected to the house of prayer in that hour. It was a very, very difficult time. It was, it was a very difficult time. Well, one of the primary intercessors, and I'm going to leave their name out, and they want to be left out of this, uh, they shared uh, a, a, another vision that they had. And I believe it. I believe the vision. I believe them to be a person of character. I believe they were as invested as could be over there. They had a vision, and they told me about it sometime later. And I want to tell you the vision. First, before I do, I've got to give you one piece of background that's just a very interesting thing, okay? In that hour, you know, nothing attracts weirdies like prayer, okay? I mean, I'm grateful for every weirdie we get in here. But man, prayer just attracts some interesting birds, okay? And uh, that's not just a TPR thing. That's just kind of all, all around, all right? Well, one of the things that would happen somewhat regularly, when I say that, I mean I heard this testimony from multiple people that were a part of the All Nations House of Prayer, not just one. It was kind of like a thing that periodically random people, unrelated to the last random people, Random people would show up in the parking lot of the All Nations House of Prayer, and they would come to pray, and they would not know there was a house of prayer there. They wouldn't even know what a house of prayer was, and people would be going out from their set, and they'd coming out to their car, and they'd see some people in the center of the parking lot, and they go, what are you guys doing here? They said, oh, we're intercessors. I said, oh, are you here for the house of prayer? Cool. Yeah, it's inside. What's the house of prayer? Well, what do you, why are you here? We felt the Lord tell us he was going to lead us to the dead center of the Metroplex, and it's in the middle of this parking lot. That's why we're here. We're here to pray in the dead center of the Dallas-Fort Worth region, and this is where the Lord led us. That exact reality occurred multiple times to the point that people in the community knew that was a thing that happened from time to time. That's bizarre, okay? All right, well, now let me tell you about this vision and what happened in that spot in the parking lot. The intercessor who had this experience says that in the encounter, they were positioned outside of the All Nations House of Prayer near the street when suddenly the roof of the House of Prayer was somehow opened up and a huge crown was thrown up out of the prayer room into the air and it landed in the middle of the parking lot. And the crown was large, and it landed on its rim, wobbling in a circle until it finally laid down flat. Once it had stilled, they saw the hand of the Lord appear with a large mallet in his hand. The mallet came down violently with a crash upon the crown. 
which caused the gems that had ornately decorated it to scatter all across the metroplex. This was understood as God scattering the anointing that rested on that house to be spread all over the region for others to pick up and run with to establish additional houses of prayer. Now, it's very interesting to me. I, I heard this vision in 2006 or 2007, maybe 2007. I heard this vision. It's very interesting that from that time, that house of prayer completely shut down. That church completely shut down. It's now a gateway campus. And I think the Lord's in it. I mean, I think it's a great gateway campus. But that house of prayer is 100% gone. It was 100 hours a week with live worship and teams. People coming from all over the region. The church that was a part of that is, is now gone. And here we are now, however many years later. And, and it's just in agreement with there will be 24, you know. There's going to be houses of prayer all over. All right, now, I want to take a, a quick uh, little side road here, and then we'll get back up on the highway. I want to talk for just a moment about DFW's testimony that revival is coming to DFW. Revival. So I'm, I'm going to move slightly away from the house of prayer theme. We'll get right back to it. And I want to talk about the revival theme, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on here because I've already talked about it in some other sessions. I'll talk about it some more in some others. But here's the thing. The subject matter of the house of prayer having a profound uh, place in the history of the DFW region and the promises that God is going to send revival to the DFW region are not separate things. They're intertwined. They are related. God's adamant desire for the house of prayer to flourish in the Dallas-Fort Worth region is part of the storyline of how revival will happen here, okay? First, I told you guys some of the dreams and the words that the Lord had given us in our ministry. Before we knew there was a prayer movement, before we knew anything, we just knew we were going to be part of revival, that our prayer meetings somehow were going to touch a regional revival in ways that we couldn't explain. Sometime later, I remember, I was actually in 2006, I remember Cindy Jacobs. She's got a prophetic ministry. She's a prophetic voice in our nation. I remember in 2006 when Cindy Jacobs announced that she had a very clear vision from the Lord of the Isaiah 35 Highway of Holiness and that she was to move her ministry. I mean, she was located in another city, another state. She was to move her ministry out of state to where I-35 split and then gathered back together again. She did not know in the natural that I-35 breaks into I-35E and I-35W in, uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. She didn't know that. She did some homework. She found it out. She went, oh my goodness, we're supposed to move to Dallas. They moved their ministry because the, the prophetic word that they got was everywhere that that highway splits, God is going to bring great revival and it's going to start here and then launch to the nation. So she moved her, her ministry here. Her ministry is located on I-35, okay? She moved her ministry here because she believed that revival was going to be part of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. She wanted to be a part of that. Similarly, Todd White, this was in 2016, just a minute ago. Todd White relocates his ministry to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, not just because the housing market was good, but because he got prophetic word and prophetic leadings that this is going to be an epicenter of revival, there's going to be something happening in the Dallas-Fort Worth region. And so part of his reasoning for moving to this area was the, the prophetic storyline related to revival. Time to revive, in my opinion, launched 
the greatest, uh, the greatest scale as far as active engagement, the greatest scale evangelistic effort in the history of Dallas-Fort Worth as best as I know. It was called Revive Texas, and we got to be right at the center of it. It was a 50-day initiative where there were teams of people going out and sharing the gospel two times a day, every morning and every evening, from 10 different host locations across the Metroplex, hundreds of churches involved. It was a wild season of time. Time to Revive, their ministry was founded by a Dallasite and was founded here in Dallas-Fort Worth and uh, was, was launched the largest outreach that they've ever done here in the area. Another one of those just testimonies of the Lord stirring the, the, the Stokes of Revival. And I, I love Kyle Martin. He's another one of those just good bros in the spirit. He's their director. That is a revivalist. That is a man who burns to see the passion of God uh, break forth for hearts to turn to him. I mean, he just desires to see a move of God like very few people I've ever met. He is a revivalist. Now, there are countless other ministries across the region that have similar stories. I was texting, uh, you know, a, a, a leader here in, earlier in, in the day. I was uh, texting Michael Miller over at Upper Room, and I was asking him. And he was like, man, we've got plenty of stories. I didn't get all the stories. I didn't want to share them all tonight. I just wanted to hear his take. He said, we've got plenty of stories related to the, uh, a movement of the Holy Spirit bringing revival here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We are tracking. Well, he's one of a thousand ministries that has their own stories of why they believe Dallas-Fort Worth is going to experience wide-scale revival. They're, it's all over. Now, I hope that that's the case everywhere. I hope every city has got those kinds of stories because it's going to be a bummer if, the, if Dallas is the only place that gets revival. But I believe that Dallas is going to get revival. Okay, now let's go back to the prophetic uh, storyline related to the house of prayer. All right, we're tracking. We took a little detour, but it was an important one because it's related to the mandate. Now we're back. The House of Prayer movement in Dallas-Fort Worth. Let's talk about TPR's part in the storyline. Well, we knew nothing about the region. We, knew not, we didn't know nothing about nothing. We, man, we were figuring out our theology. We were figuring out a hundred things. We certainly didn't know that there was a prayer movement going on in the region. We had no idea we were part of a regional story. Well, the, the Lord sovereignly started TPR. I shared that with you. And the reason I say that is because it's impossible that with as little money, understanding, human resources, facilities, training, it's impossible that we started a prayer meeting 12, after, 12 hours after we were told start a prayer meeting tomorrow and then never miss a day for the rest of anybody's life ever. It's impossible for that to happen unless God does it. And God did it. We started a prayer meeting the next morning, and we've never missed a day ever in 14 and a half years. Never missed a day. Christmas Day, New Year's, your birthday, my birthday. We've never missed a day. That's impossible. But the Lord did it because he's jealous to have his house of prayer. Well, we started gathering together, and we were praying. Just this ragtag group started to feel this burden to pray for other houses of prayer to be birthed in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We're like, well, Lord, you did it with us. Do it a bunch all over the place. We never heard the, the Mission 24, you know, there'll be 24. We never heard that. We never heard the crown, you know, vision. We didn't know any of that. We wouldn't find that out for a couple of years or whatever. But what we did know was we felt strongly we're supposed to pray for houses of prayer to get birthed all over the region. And as we prayed, we started seeing it happen. Not just them starting. We saw them start. 
In addition to them starting, we started to see them start exactly where we would pinpoint and pray every day. God birthed one there. God birthed one there. We get a phone call. Hey, I just started South Prayer. Did you guys know we're over in dot, dot, exactly where we were praying for them to start a house of prayer. Not knowing. We started hearing these testimonies over and over. The Lord was writing us into the storyline. We felt like we were going to be a regional hub, and that was the most, that was such an ambitious thought. I mean, I just want you to imagine this. I'm 25 at this time, and I am the oldest one. And we have been praying for six weeks, but we're doing it every day. And, and we're getting little whispers, and my spirit is growing. Guys, I don't know how this is possible. I would say it in the living room, and people would look at me really funny. I would say, guys, we're going to be a regional house of prayer. It's going to be even more than regional. People are going to come from across the nation to our house of prayer. I said, I, I can't explain that, but I know that it's true. And people, you know, I say it now, and it's like, you can believe me. Back then, you wanted to unfriend me because it just seemed so presumptuous and impossible and bizarre. It's like, you guys are just like some dumb kids in a living room. Dumb kids. You know, I got the looks all the time, the dumb kids look. It's like, well, I'm sorry. If we're dumb kids, we're dumb kids, but we're dumb kids that are going to be a regional house of prayer. I'm like, deal with it, okay? There were some fun moments where people came back years later and were like, well, and I was like, yeah, I've been waiting for the well because you sure did look at me like I was stupid. All right, so now these houses of prayer are, are popping up all over the Metroplex. I just want to give a couple of uh, slides here in a second, okay? We had a website. I mean, we've got one now, but we had our first website, and I, I am not connecting the dots yet about the, the houses of prayer and the vision of the, uh, the Tom Davis vision of, you know, little flames all over the Metroplex, that's not registering with me. That, that comes a little bit later. But let's put up that first slide if we can. This first slide was on our website. And what we did was we started to find all the houses of prayer that we could find in the area. And we, uh, we put their, their contact information, a little mouse over, on our, on our website. And when we'd hear about one starting, we would uh, uh, kind of make it a flame on the map. And then when you'd mouse over it, you could click on it, and it would bring up the information of who the leader was, when the prayer meetings were happening, all that kind of stuff. And so we had that on our website back in 2007 or 2008, okay? Because we were hearing about houses of prayer start all over the place, and it was really super exciting. Well, not only were they starting, at one point, there were 30. 30. And so that you don't call me a liar, we'll flash it real quick so they can't read the contact information. Put it up there. Put up that other slide. This was the, the contact list. You can't really tell, but that's, that's uh, exactly, that's 30 ministries right there. That top bracket. That were all houses of prayer with a director, a, a, a schedule of the prayer meetings, a location, a this and that. I mean, I knew all those guys and gals. I mean, I could identify all 30 of them and where they were in the Metroplex. Guys, that is the most bizarre thing in the history of ever. I, I want to say this clearly. To this day, no one that I know of anywhere in the prayer movement in the earth, no one that I know of, and I, go, I know some people, no one that I know of has ever known a city with 30 houses of prayer or even 20, ever, except Dallas-Fort Worth. 
that's really, really interesting. That, to me, makes it a little bit more believable that there will eventually be 24, 24-hour houses of prayer. Makes it a little bit more believable to me that revival really will have its way here in our city, that we really will see this. It makes it a little bit more believable to me that when the Lord said, you're going to start houses of prayer all over, that you're supposed to pray for houses of prayer to start, that there's revival fire coming, that it makes it a little bit more believable to me that there are special purposes unique purposes related to the prayer movement for the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Remember, I told you, without vision, people cast off restraint. It's important because here's what it feels like most of the time. You walk into this room, there's one worship leader and you in a blue chair. Global end-time prayer movement! It doesn't really feel that way on a Tuesday in the middle of the day. And it's important that we remember the storyline because God spoke these things. Well, there was a purposeful connection that happened in 2001. Remember I told you that conference that I was at? That I just found my way into or whatever? Well, what's really weird about that is uh, Jeremy Jarvis, who wound up being a, a director here and part of the leadership team for 12 years, Jeremy Jarvis and I would meet some years later. I think uh, six years later, we would meet. Well, it turns out, as we are talking and dialoguing, he was at that exact same conference, and we didn't meet. We didn't see each other there. We didn't, I wouldn't have even known. I probably would have thought he was one of them weird charismatics. I probably wouldn't have gone over to him, okay? So it's, it's 2001. We're both at this conference, and the same vision marked him. He heard the vision and thought, man, that's that's." Powerful, but didn't really know what to do with it. Didn't have any like thought process of you know how that could you know be for us or whatever. But we hear we we're talking years later and going, man, I was at this conference back and da da. Oh man, me too. Man, they told this vision. That vision marked me too. It was a really cool moment. Okay. Well, let me tell you where that goes from there. All right. So, Jeremy and I are talking. It's now 2009. All right. The vision was in 2001. It's 2009, and Jeremy and I are are rehashing because we've we had the original revelation moment that we were both at that conference a few years before 2007 or 6 but it's 2009 and we're retelling it we're like yeah I mean that was so crazy we were both at that conference and then we're both kind of looking at each other and we have a holy spirit moment together we go the guy who had that vision never did anything with it nothing zero nothing i don't even know that he retold it ever he did nothing with that vision and I look at him, and he looks at me, and we both go, it was for us. And we both go, we were both there because God was marking us, even before our call into the prayer movement, that we were going to birth the prayer room missions base, and we were going to be in it together. I mean, thick in it together. That's what that was about. And I said, I said, bro, I have to. I have to track him down. <laughs> I got I to gotta track down Tom Davis, who had the vision, and just talk to him about it, like ask him some questions. Now, here's what's crazy. I say that to Jeremy, and then I forget, because I'm forgetful. It's a few months later. Maybe it's, you know, eight months later. I don't know. It's not, it's not years later. Uh, but it's a, it's a few months later, and somebody starts coming around the ministry 
who is super sweet, like the sweetest apple pie girl you ever met, just so sweet and one like a Rhoda, just like Rhoda Jean over there. I love that girl. Just so sweet and just precious and, and just wonderful and a servant. She starts coming around the ministry, and one day she says, um, Brad, I had this, um, had this dream that I wanted to share with you, and uh, I don't know, I just feel like it's for the prayer room. She said, I, I feel like it's for the prayer room, and she said, I don't, I don't know, I, I've had it. Uh, you know, for years, and it just, it's never left me. It's always just stayed with me. Um, and she's uh, going to a mainstream denominational church and is just straight-laced, sweet little girl, okay? She said, I had this dream. She said, it was like I could see the whole DFW Metroplex, and all of a sudden, I started seeing these little flames pop up all over the Metroplex. And then she said, and then I saw the hands of God appear on either side of the Metroplex and start moving all the flames together. And when the flames finally got together in the center, it broke out and there was fire all over the place. And Brad, I think it's like revival. She said, she said, but I don't know why, but I think it's for you. Like, I think I'm supposed to tell you. Like, I feel like it's for the prayer room. I just shook my head. I said, were you at that conference with Tom Davis? She said, who's Tom Davis? I just couldn't believe it. And the Lord confirmed that it, this was for us. So I tracked down Tom Davis. And I'm like, I go, I reached out. I was like, hey, can we meet for coffee? I just love to buy you a cup of coffee. I want to chat about that vision you had way back when. And he replies back like in an email or something. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Sure, I'll meet. I'll, I'll tell you if I can remember, you know. Blah, blah. So we meet. And uh, I said, tell it to me. And he told it. And it sounded just like it sounded, you know, that I remembered and that I'd been retelling, you know, and, and that, the girl had the same, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I was like, I go, well, what what'd you ever do with that? He said, I don't know. He said, I, I didn't really know what to do with it. He said, it didn't really fit for me. He said, I don't know why we had it. I said, I don't even know why we told it that night. And I just shook my head. <laughs> I said, so you haven't been, like, thinking house of prayer, or, like, being a part of that? He said, that's not really my thing. He said, I don't. He said, I'm glad to meet you. He said, maybe the vision's for you. I said, well, I was in attendance that night, so okay. All right, so now me, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back just a little bit. So back in that hour when we first met Tom Grossman, the man, okay? Tom helped us in so many ways. Tom was the first person who I could relate to regularly, who I could talk about the house of prayer with and like try to grow a little and reach a little because it, he was leading that ministry that again at this point by the time our friendship is really forming that house of prayer is you know really pared back he's not there anymore and but he's got the living revelation of how to do it like he's done it he knows house of prayer so I'm, I'm uh we're up at IHOP uh Kansas City for a, a conference their annual one thing conference and I have uh, one of the most profound encounters and I still don't understand it to this day but I have one of the most profound encounters I've ever had with the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a messy night, wasn't it, Luke Cooper? It was a messy night. And uh, I have one of the most profound uh, encounters with the Holy Spirit. And during this uh, encounter, I hear the Holy Spirit say that he's going to bring 40 interns to the prayer room. And that we need to get ready for 40 interns. Now, he didn't tell me a timing. We always think the timing's tomorrow. Okay, so if you ever hear the Lord say anything, it's not tomorrow. It just, it never is. Just go with it never is until one time you accidentally have it to be tomorrow. It's never tomorrow, okay? And so I have this uh, dream, but I, I'm, or not dream, I have this encounter, and I'm, I'm really struck by it. And so we come back from that conference, and we are 
in full-on get-ready-to-do-an-internship like we're going to have 40 interns, okay? And when you're a ministry that has never done an internship and you're thinking you're going to have 40, you are working triple-time overtime in every way to get things ready, develop curriculum. We had no curriculum. I, I'm so grateful for the way that the Lord cornered me in that moment because that's how we started curriculum writing. It's how we started programs. It's how, we got thrust into it because I misinterpreted a word from the Lord. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. So we get back and we are in full on, get ready for this internship. Uh, we're going to do it over the summer. We're going to spend the spring getting ready for this internship, writing curriculum, writing all this stuff. We're going to do a full-time internship because we didn't know any better. Okay, So we're writing curriculum for a full-time program, full-time, 40 hours a week, mostly instruction. Mostly. Okay, It's like really intense. So... Uh, I'm meeting with Tom Grossman, which wasn't an unusual thing in that hour. I would meet with him, you know, once every couple of months. He said, hey, Brad, um, listen, I, uh, I feel like I got a word for you. I said, okay. He said, I think you guys are supposed to do a citywide house of prayer conference this spring. And I said, I said well, I am really glad you think you heard that. I said, I love you. But that's weird. We are not doing that. <laughs> I said, I said we're going to spend all semester. I'm already knee-deep in it, getting ready for the summer. We cannot pull off a citywide house of prayer conference. Da, 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 da. I go, we can't do it. I said, there's no way. I said, look, I'll tell you what. I'll ask the Lord for a dream. If he gives me a dream, I'll reconsider. I go, but if he doesn't, there's, I'm just, I can't even fathom how that could be the Lord right now. He said, okay, well, we'll see. I said, all right. So I half prayed. It's, there is such a thing, at least for me. It's kind of like, I don't, Lord, you know, the thing, bye. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, okay, so I said it, sort of. Well, that night, I have a dream. That night, that night, I have a dream. And in the dream, the prayer room is hosting a citywide house of prayer conference at Christ for the Nations with Dwayne Roberts as the speaker and Misty Edwards leaving worship. And I go, I woke up both shocked, a little irritated, and totally certain. I woke up in a moment. I'm like, this is the confirmation. The dude said we're supposed to do it. This is the confirmation. It's so clear. I, didn't, I wanted to not have this dream. And boy, did I have it. I am certain we're supposed to do this conference despite whatever else we had going on. So now, I, I, I tell Tom, I, I tell our team, here's what's crazy, okay? Our little team... Guys, there's like 13 people that are a part of the prayer room, maybe 15. We are a very, very small ministry. And we're going to go rent out Christ for the Nations. We're going to do this big conference, invite big-name speaker and worship. This is totally crazy. This is dumb. This is a really, really dumb idea, okay? And I'm like, well, you know, I tell our group of 12 or whatever, 15, I'm like, guys, we're going to do this conference and... And um, we're going to do it. The same day that I made the announcement, someone came up to me and handed me a check for $10,000. They said, hey, we heard that you're going to do this conference. Here's $10,000 to get it done. I just shook my head. This was our first big gift. This was maybe our first gift over 100 bucks. I mean, I'm like, 
oh my gosh, $10,000 to do this conference. Well, now all the obstacles of how would we afford the this and the that? And the, how could we afford the plane ticket to get the speaker down? How could we do anything? It all just instantly was solved in one second. And I am shocked. I go, okay, well, we're going to do it. So then we announce, we're going to do it. I mean, like, not announce. We're, we're now actually making plans. I'm calling Christ for Nations. I'm trying to get a hold of Dwayne Roberts and Misty Edwards and all this stuff. Well, we have over the course of the next few months before the conference, we have 15 dreams about the conference. And most of them had Dwayne Roberts and or Misty Edwards leading the conference with us. I contact Dwayne Roberts, and he doesn't know me. I'm some nobody. He tells me later. He came and did the conference. He tells me later. He says, I, I never come to stuff like this. He said, stuff that I don't know. I don't know the ministry. I don't know you. I don't. He said, I, this is the kind of thing I always say no to. He said, I don't know. I, I don't even know why I said yes. I'm glad I did. But I don't even know why I said yes. Well, Dwayne said yes. I still haven't gotten an email reply from Misty Edwards. So if any of y'all know her, you tell her, just go ahead and reply to Brad. It's time. Come do the conference. So there's even a little bit of mystery on the prophetic. Like, Dwayne said yes. Misty didn't even say no. She just didn't come. That's really interesting. All this, but why all the dreams? Why the money? Why the confirmation? Why the dream, you know, that night? Why the confirmation? Because the Lord wants a prayer movement in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he wants the prayer room missions base to have a significant part in the story. That's why. Well, the night of the conference, uh, we do a two-night conference at Christ for Nations. And by the way, nobody comes. Oh, my gosh. Registration, total registration was just over 100. Total registration. And there were never that many people in the room. And the sanctuary can hold 2,300. Uh-huh. Crickets. Okay? But we did it like it was a big conference with 2,300 people. I mean, we had registration. We had this. We had this. We had, we had banners set up. We invited other houses of prayer to set up their banners so that nobody could see them because no one came. I mean, we did it. We went all out. And in the process of that, we wound up really impressing Dwayne. It was unbelievable because he looked at it and he, this is what he saw with, with genuine eyes. He saw this. These people will do anything for Jesus. They are sold out to see the house of prayer established in the city like nobody I've ever seen. It doesn't matter to them that there's nobody here. They're still giving it their 100%. It doesn't matter that they're small. They found a way to pull off a mega conference that no one even attended because their bandwidth, no one would come. I mean, we took out radio ads. We did everything to try to get people to that conference. Well, I say nobody came. That's not true. All the right people came. That's how we met multiple houses of prayer that wound up starting or they were in the process or started later or just started. We met all the right people. It was a beautiful time. And here's what happens at that conference that was shocking to me. I would not have asked for this. I would have not have done anything to make this happen. You remember I told you that back in the day when the All Nations House of Prayer had started that the ANHOP in Grand Prairie was Connected with IHOP Kansas City pretty good because they were kind of like sending them people and stuff, okay? Well, Tom Grossman in that hour had gotten to know, know Dwayne Roberts. So they had a little bit of a friendship. So they went out to coffee, you know, during the conference one time or whatever. And uh, now it's uh, the announcements for one of the sessions, the Saturday night session or whatever. And, um, and all of a sudden, Dwayne and Tom Grossman get up at the front. And this is kind of like an uninvited extra announcement, you know? And I'm like, well, whatever. I respect both of these guys. Sure, whatever. And they go, uh, hey, Brad, come up here. Now I'm like, no, no, y'all need to sit down. I don't, I don't like where this is going. 
And they anoint me as the apostolic leader of the prayer movement over the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Dwayne Roberts from IHOP and Tom Grossman, who is the resident house of prayer guy that had been the most successful house of prayer in the region. And they just, they just anoint me and they say, listen, we're, we're imparting grace to you to be a regional, you know, leader in this, in this movement. We're imparting, you know, strength to you. Tom is more or less like giving me his mantle. You know, they're anointing me with oil. It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. If there were more people there, I'd have been really embarrassed. But since there was only like six, there, there were probably 75 people in the room. I mean, it was, but it was embarrassing. And I'm looking at this and I'm, I can't believe what's happening because here's what I told our team privately. I said, guys, this is, I'd been telling them this for months, maybe even a year or two. I said, guys, I don't know how this is going to happen, but somehow the prayer room is going to become the front runner of the prayer movement in the region. I said, somehow we're going to be leading the movement related to the house of prayer. Now, we're in my living room with 10 of us. That's presumptuous and weird sounding and impossible. Now, here we are by a leader from IHOP and and the only person in the Metroplex that, in my opinion, would have the right to stand up there and say anything. And both of them are saying, we had a good lunch talk, and it was all about you. And we see the grace of God on your life, and specifically on this ministry, you're going to lead the charge. It's like, I can't believe this. And so there was, boom. Well, in the midst of that then, because we'd impressed Dwayne, I'm, I'm talking to him on his day out, I think on the way to the airport, and I said, I said, hey, I said, a big question I'm asking everybody these days is, how do you build the house of prayer? I said, how do you, you know, what are the practical steps? I said, I just want to know, uh, you know, what are your ideas? And he said, well, how would hosting a one thing regional conference do for you? I said, you know what? I think that would help us build the house of prayer. That's a real practical idea, Dwayne. He's in charge of the one thing regionals. He's the only person who can make that invitation. And he's, he's more or less saying, I came to this conference that nobody came to that I wasn't going to come to. And I've been so impressed by what I saw. I believe in you guys. You're going to be our Dallas location. He said, and we'll do it year after year if it goes well. He said, we want you guys to host it. Well, that's the conference we host a year later that has 2,100 people register for it. That's where we get launched to the region in, a, a, in, a, in our first significant moment that we're you know, able to have that sort of you know, reach and, and connection. It was bizarre. Well, one more uh, detail related to this prayer movement. We started in the living room, and I, here's what I'm going to do. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where people are at that are going to hear this message in the coming years. So I'm going to have to treat all of us like we know nothing, okay? And we may find that most of us are kind of there anyway, okay? I want to treat us like we don't know anything related to the rise of the prayer movement, the house of prayer movement. I want to talk about the rise of it. Give a little bit of a timeline. Give a, give a little bit of a progression of events, okay? Because in 2005, when we started the prayer room, there were not many houses of prayer. But in the coming five years, thousands of them started all over, all over the earth. I mean, hundreds and hundreds in America. I mean, it started. It was a, it was a wild thing. But it wasn't the case when we started. It was a really unusual thing when we started those prayer meetings. I tried to do the best that I could because I just wanted to learn. I was trying to do the best that I could to stay connected to what's happening, to pay attention. Where are House of Prayer starting? You know, houses of Prayer starting? Where, you know, what sort of timeline? How, how many in this place? How many in that place? I just wanted to know. And it was during that season of time as the rise was occurring that I realized that we were part of, and according to 
Dwayne and Tom, we're leading the largest network of houses of prayer on the planet. I just shake my head. Go, what does that even look like? At that point, we were doing every other month meetings at our base. House of Prayer leaders were coming. We'd provide lunch. We'd talk. We'd share ideas. We'd, we'd encourage one another. It was just, it was a sweet season. Well, there were significant state collectives uh, that, that were burning, uh, kind of burgeoning in that hour across Texas. It wasn't just that it was happening in Dallas. We were seeing it happen in Houston. We were seeing it happen along the Texas-Mexico border. Houses of prayer were birthing. Austin, Amarillo had multiple houses of prayer. Tyler had multiple. San Antonio had multiple. We were watching other uh, cities in our state, and I think that the pattern was of a like sort elsewhere, but not at that aggressive pace. There was something about the prayer movement in that hour in the state of Texas that was just launching in a very profound way. Other houses of prayer in little cities, I, I, fun little detail this week, and it's been a while since I've heard this testimony because the season of starting houses of prayer easily, readily has passed. Now it's with trepidation that you start one. It's a lot of work. I used to hear stories all the time of people starting houses of prayer. I got a call this week from a house of prayer out, out near Tyler, and they just started during COVID. They started on March 14th. They started their first prayer meetings. They're doing six two-hour prayer meetings a week over there in a, in a, in a, in a uh, fallout shelter in, uh, in Gladewater, uh, which is a, a kind of a suburb, if you will, of Longview, Tyler, that, that area out there. So anyway, uh, but these houses of prayer were starting all over the state. There were statewide initiatives beginning where houses of prayer. Now, this is the reason I'm sharing this is this was not what the landscape of Christianity in America looked like right before this. It did not look like this. This did not exist. These things were brand new, and they were all starting in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. By about 2013, that was the, the plateau and then the giant dip after that. But 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, houses of prayer were starting everywhere. And it was, it was fire. I mean, it was exciting to hear and to see. So there was a statewide initiative in Florida with about 70 houses of prayer in Florida. There was one in Virginia with a bunch, Indiana, Pennsylvania, California, Iowa. These, there's, these were states that were rallying, not just city networks, but statewide networks were happening. In the process of that time, another thing began that, again, is just another one of those interesting ways that the Lord has put his favor on us. Interesting ways that he's, he's given us a grace that is unusual, okay? We're developing all these relationships with these houses of prayer. And lots of them are starting. And what they are doing, which I would say that's the right thing to do, they're visiting us. And they're coming and they're going, how do you do it? What do you do? Like we just started. You know, how do you do prayer meetings? How do you train your prayer leaders? How do you? So they're all coming. So I'm meeting people like weekly would be an exaggeration, but monthly wouldn't be. In some months it'd be two or three. I mean, I'm meeting people all the time that are coming to our base, started a house of prayer, and then they're wanting to talk and this and that, and I'm trying to do everything I can to resource them and help them. But what I'm finding is I am so taxed. It's all give, give, give. I didn't have any peers that were building houses of prayer that were at a like state that we were at. So all the people that I was talking to, I was happy to help, but it wasn't a two-way conversation because if I needed to try to make our internships better, I'd need somebody that's doing their internships better. <laughs> I 
You know, not somebody I'm trying to teach how to do our internships. You got me? And so I just got frustrated. I said, Lord, I feel like there have to be some other houses of prayer in the nation that are doing 50 plus hours a week of live worship, that have got internships going, that have, that have got people coming in their communities. That are, I just know there's got to be some of these like larger, if you can call them that, larger houses of prayer in the nation. I'm just going to call them and say, be my friend. So I made a list. I did some homework, did a lot of homework, and I found that there were only 12 ministries in the continental United States that had more than 50 hours, 50 or more hours of live worship. Lots of other expressions, but 50 hours a week of live worship. There were only 12, and one of them was Kansas City. And I said, well, I'm going to call the other, you know, we're one of them, so I'm going to call the other 10, and I'm going to say, be my friend. And so I got my little spiel together. I called all 10, tracked down the directors, and said, hey, listen, uh, I just... You know, this is my situation. We've got these relationships, but I don't have any peers. Uh, could we plan a meeting in Dallas where we, just, where we just all try to get together and talk and just see if there's anything there? Here's what happened. It scratched an itch. They were all in the exact same boat I was in. They were all regionally helping all those other people start their houses of prayer, and they had no peer relationships. And they were like, yes. They said, I'm coming. I'm coming. I kept hearing, I'm coming. I'm coming. When? Let's do it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to like connect the prayer movement across the nation. And so they all, I mean, I say they all, uh, seven of us showed up here in Dallas in 2000 and I think it was 12. And we started, we're all sitting around the table meeting each other for the first time and sharing our stories. And everybody is so encouraged and we're sharing resources and sharing ideas. And, and we, we said, well, what is this? What are we going to do? And, and we decided to call it the National Missions Base Co-op. And so it's a co-op, it's a cooperative fellowship of friends. These have become some of my dearest friends on the planet. They are dear to me, dear. And we get together twice a year. We rotate around at each other's bases, and we sit in each other's prayer rooms, and we sit in each other's debrief rooms, and we, and we talk about how we're doing house of prayer and how we're handling this. I was on a, a uh, uh, which is it, FaceTime call with them two days ago talking about how are we handling COVID and all this stuff. We have become dear friends. It wound up interconnecting the prayer movement in the region. Between these relationships of these houses of prayer and all the relationships that each one of those houses of prayer represent, we've got a, a loose, super loose, connected relational network of a couple hundred houses of prayer. I mean, that we could disperse information. We could disperse ideas. We could, it's powerful. Well, how did that happen? The Lord said, we're going to be a regional house of prayer. and We're going to have national influence as a house of prayer. I would have never thought that, wanted that, tried to do that. I was calling these guys out of desperation and my own lack. And it formed. And then they said, well, you're the guy with the idea. You lead it. And so I'm like, now I'm leading it? It was easier just to make a phone call or two. But they've all been super gracious, and we, we have become such dear friends. They are such a strength to me. There are many times I look and I go, I don't know how we would have made it through the last 10 years without the co-op. I just don't even know how we'd have done it. I'm so grateful. Well, the prayer movement is growing. It's expanding. And I want to give you what I believe to be, I'm going to share some prophetic words, a couple stories, a dream or two, and then we'll, we'll end for tonight. I want to share with you what I believe is one of the most crucial components for the expansion of the prayer movement moving forward. And that is the concept of training schools. I believe the, 
concept of training schools is essential because this prayer movement is as much caught as it is taught. And if it really be that the Lord wants a prayer movement in the earth, if he really be, you know, I was telling you earlier that at one point there were 30 houses of prayer in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Well, now there's 18. And of those 18, four of them started since there were 30. So 18 minus 4, 14. 30 minus 14 is 16. 16 houses of prayer we watched start and stop. We watched their first day happen. And we watched their last day happen. Why? This is the most difficult, ridiculous assignment I can possibly imagine. I've been a missionary in a foreign country in Muslim Africa. That was easy by comparison to leading a prayer. How's a prayer? This, is, this takes so much work. Here's why it takes so much work. Because every week, every single week, we say the following statement. Our primary assignment is to build night and day prayer here for King Jesus. Please join one two-hour prayer meeting a week. Please join one two-hour prayer meeting a week. Sacrifice some of your time and pick one two-hour prayer meeting a week. And people nod and say amen, and then do not join one two-hour prayer meeting a week. And then somebody, for real reasons, has to move out of state, and we just lost one. And then somebody, you know, has a life transition, and they really can't make it for a while, and we just lost one. This is the hardest assignment because it's the thing that all Christians say, yes, prayer is good, but will not commit to a one, two-hour prayer meeting in this room every week. It is a very difficult assignment, a very difficult assignment. Well, we watch those houses of prayer come and go. Part of the reason, I think, it's not the only, is without vision, the people cast off restraint. Part of the vision is training. Part of the vision is theological understanding. Part of the vision is the storyline. Part of the vision is the community of crazy ragtags that are doing it together. Part of the vision is a, is a priesthood that's marching together towards the purposes of God in this generation. There's a significant amount of training, and I believe that for the prayer movement to get to where it's supposed to go, it's going to be essential that there are not just prayer rooms, but that there are prayer rooms with training centers in their midst that are raising up house of prayer planters, house of prayer supporters, house of prayer worship leaders and singers and ushers and technicians. I think it's essential. And so IHOP Kansas City has one such ministry. It's called the International House of Prayer. We've got a, a, a university. We've got a tremendous relationship with IHOPU. I'm very grateful for it. But it's not going to work if that's the only one on the planet. We're going to die a slow death, okay? There have got to be other houses of prayer that raise up not just the night and day prayer component, but the training component. Early in our, our prayer meetings, we're, we're a few months into prayer meetings the same concept of us being a regional prayer center, the same idea, the same level of assurance, without having ever done one training, I start to feel like we're going to have a regional training center. We're going to be a house of prayer that doesn't just do house of prayer. We're going to train other people how to do house of prayer and other stuff that I don't understand yet. Like, we're going to be a house of prayer that has a training center. It, it was burning in me. Well, I'm going to give you a prophetic word that we got. I was already sharing these ideas with our leaders, with, with our team at that time. We had, I told you that night that that prophet showed up in my living room, and we did the extra prayer meeting hour that we'd never do. Well, that was the night. And he says this. He says, you're a warehouse. You have all the supplies. Everything shipped to you, you will have the ability to ship out. 
You will be a move of the nameless and faceless, not a ministry of superstars, a great many all over. This, is a, this, is a, this word resounded in me because I understood it wasn't going to be about us having big names that attracted people. It was going to be the goods that we carried were so sweet people wanted them. And that what was sweet about it is we were going to be given building materials and we were going to know how to give those building materials away with instruction manuals on how to go use those building materials and go build something. That was what was happening, a warehouse filled with supplies that we would be, in, we would be uh, given the grace and the understanding to ship out. Well, I'll give you a dream I had. Got just a couple more testimonies here. <clears throat> it was a dream I had in August 2011. And it was about the growth of our schools. Now, at this point, by 2011, we've got some internships. We're doing a, you know, a little music academy. We're doing a, you know, a little bit of here, a little bit there. I had a dream in August 2011. It went like this. I had a dream that I understood to be all about the expansion of the tabernacle of David. As new recruits were trained and launched into their calling. In the dream, it had been a long season of waiting and difficulty for us. And then one day the Lord handed me our ticket out of all of it. A bus appeared and I got on board. Many others who had been in similar seasons of difficulty began to board the bus as well. As we drove, things shifted massively for us and everything that had previously been in the way was now removed. Our base was like a small police academy and we were about to graduate 50 recruits. It was clear that things had really changed across the movement because I heard multiple other leaders say, I've got 50 recruits, I've got 50, as well as uh, growth like this was happening in many places besides us. I knew that 50 was massive and that graduating them was going to make huge impact. I have this dream that's confirming, I just, I woke up, I was so stirred by it, the expansion of our schools. I believe that. I believe we're going to see our schools expand in a significant way. I already told you about that encounter I had with the Lord about the 40 interns. We've never had 40 interns. I am believing that. I had, that was one of the, not the most, it was one of the most powerful encounters I've ever had with the Holy Spirit. And it was all about the Lord sending us 40 interns. We have not had 40 interns, not even close. Not at any moment. That's, gonna, that's a future reality. So I told you about our schools. That's about our internships. What about our music academy? I had the most wild dream in 2016 that I, I see some of the whispers of it even now. Even this week, I see some of the whispers of it. Dream in 2016. The feel of this dream was that we had just moved into a larger facility that could hold three to 500 people in the sanctuary. We were hosting a large FMA school. That's a music academy. A large FMA school that our community, and our community was larger and stronger, and we had teams that flowed really well. And that we're able to pull off full teams with no problem. That has never been our reality, ever. It was the new normal for there to always be a bunch of people in the prayer room and lots of 20-year-olds around. I walked into a midweek, middle-of-the-day prayer set, and the team had a dozen people on it. Current staff and new faces that I didn't recognize. As a community, we had significantly increased in our understanding of the model. And there were a group of about 50 young adults in the room, all students that had just signed up for some version of FMA that we were running. 50 in the prayer room. But down the hall was another full team of FMA students jamming in the multipurpose room. 
They were really good. And people were coming into the multi-purpose room and engaging with the Lord. I walked out shaking my head going, that team was awesome. And they weren't even the team on the stage in the sanctuary. Then I walked into yet another room and there were another 20 to 30 FMA students, all 20-year-olds, who could all play instruments and sing. So I put together a third worship team at the same time and started another prayer meeting in this other practice room. This dream is all about the expansion of our music academy, about the capacities for us training singers and musicians because you can't do this house of prayer thing without them. The last uh, piece I'll share, we'll close out. I told you before that in 2013, 2012, 2013, I had a series of, inter- of encounters with the Lord that uh, proved to be very profound. They, they, they proved to actually like happen, you know? The details of those of prophetic encounters happening related to being launched to the region, related to growth, related to, to difficulty, related to all these things that were going to occur. But one of the phrases that the Lord gave me during one of those encounters is, The FEC, our Foreigner Equipping Center, will become the primary ministry training school in the region. Now, I don't have any skin in this game. I don't need that to happen, but I believe that it will. And let me tell you why I believe that it will from a very practical standpoint. If we're living in the last generation, and I believe that we are, when the signs of the times, and let's say COVID is just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, When the signs of the times begin to alert the church that we are, in fact, living in the last generation, people are going to begin to want to find training ministries to send their 20-year-olds to that have a revelation of the end times. It's not going to be enough that they've got a revelation of the Bible. They're going to need a revelation and know how to train end-time forerunners. We have 10-plus years of significant investment into eschatology at this point. Significant investment into training forerunners with a mindset of you're living in the last generation, you must live differently. You're living in the last generation, you will experience different things. You're living in the last generation, the rules are different. You're living in the last generation, the mandate is to fill the earth with night and day prayer centers to usher in the second coming of Jesus and an end time revival. When the church begins to have the revelation, which will be forced upon her, when the signs begin to unfold. When the church has a revelation, we're living in the last generation. The limited places on the planet that have been preparing to raise up forerunners for a decade or two are going to all of a sudden become something of a bit of importance. There's going to be a revelation that that's a place that probably we need to, while the rest of the church, and to nobody's fault, how did we know? The Lord told us and held us at gunpoint. You will learn the end times. You will start prayer meetings. We are not smart. We're just obedient. But as the rest of the church is playing catch up to try to figure out where their stance is on the end times while the end times are happening, that's not going to be the the most opportune place to try to get a training to understand what's happening in the end of the age. There's going to be places that the Lord's raising up, forerunner ministries that got a little bit of understanding just a minute ahead of time that are all of a sudden, that minute and that little are going to look amplified because of the the distance of the clarity and the understanding. It's going to be profound. I believe this is going to happen. And while it hasn't happened yet, and I don't need it to happen to be okay, the Lord said it. This is the trajectory. Part of the reason I share all this is because this is related back to the prayer movement in our region and the purposes of God for this ministry. 
This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.